Be seated. Thank you so much to our musicians and singers for leading us. At this time, uh, children uh, K-4 through third grade are, are, can be dismissed for children's church. Um, you can proceed to the back. Uh, if you're new and you want to let your children come to children's church, if you could go out into the narthex, there's a way for you to register so that, um, so that you can get your kids back. So there you go. Well, um, as Pastor Joel and his family are on vacation, it's, um, I've been given the great privilege to preach the Word of God to you, um, and I thank you so much for your many prayers for me. Um, it's no small responsibility to preach the living Word of God to the people of God, and even to maybe some who don't yet know the Lord. Um, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 chapter 4, verse 7. Before I read that, just a reminder that we are in the middle of a sermon series called Gospel Reset. Um, Paul, the apostle, was writing this letter to uh, mostly Gentile, that is, non-Jewish Christians in the region of Galatia during the Roman Empire, who were being tricked into giving up their freedom, to going back to a system that was under the Old Testament that had already fulfilled its purpose and, and under which there was great harshness compared to the freedom that Jesus has won for us. And so uh, it's our great privilege, it's in God's providence, I'm preaching this sermon from slavery under law to sonship in Christ on July 4th. So it was like a softball to me from the Lord, you know. As we're thinking about a declaration of freedom from tyranny, we get to hear God remind us and declare over us our freedom in Jesus Christ and be challenged to fight for that freedom, to hold fast to that freedom, and to grow in that freedom through gospel faith. So please pray with me, and then we'll read the Word of God. Father, again, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray for freedom in the pulpit that you lift my heart with your joy and just the good news of what Jesus has done and, and of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in us, Lord. Would you revive us in your love? Would you so fill us with your love that we love you more and love other people more? For that is our purpose on the earth. We want to glorify you more by embracing the freedom that Jesus has won. And we cannot do that apart from the powerful work of your Holy Spirit through your holy word of life. And so we pray, God, that you would have your way this morning, that you would work through me to exalt Jesus Christ in such a way that our lives are permanently changed, that we leave this space different as you've washed us anew in the freedom that we have in Jesus. We pray this for your glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to the Apostle Paul encourage these believers to fight for their freedom and to stop getting tricked into giving it up. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and following. Listen to God's holy word. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, today is the 4th of July, where we are reminded of our declaration of freedom from tyranny. And we are reminded, as We know people, and there are people in our congregation who have fought for our freedom to remain, that freedom has to be defended. Freedom has to be fought for. And sometimes we can be tricked into giving up the freedoms that were won for us, often slowly and imperceptibly, right? The same is true with the Galatian Christians. They were being tricked by what were called the Judaizers, and that's not being anti-Semitic. It's just acknowledging that there were Jewish people who had become Christians, but then had fallen into a great error. And that error was in thinking that non-Jewish people, when they believe in Jesus, have to become Jewish in order to be true sons and daughters of the living God. And Paul, throughout this letter to the Galatians, has been declaring that to be a false gospel. That is not true. What we've been reminded of in our gospel reset is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Faith in Jesus Christ is receiving adoption by God forever and gives you the Holy Spirit living in you in a way that even believers under the Old Testament era did not get to experience. It is so much better this side of the cross. And so I want us to look at that freedom that we have in contrast with the slavery that believers, even believers, had under the era of the law of Moses. That's what Paul is doing. Last week, Pastor Joel reminded us that the the law and the gospel, the law and grace, are actually on the same team. The law is not bad. But this week, Paul is going to emphasize something different, and that is the experience of Christians or of believers during the Old Testament era, particularly under the law of Moses, that it was like slavery compared to the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us at the cross. And so quit getting tricked into going back to those chains, all right? And embrace the freedom that we have in Jesus fully. 
That's the whole point of this. We see that all who trust in Jesus are united to Jesus and have been adopted into the freedom of mature sonship. We're going to talk about that with the Father and the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So embrace the freedom that is yours in Christ. Let's look first at our slavery under law. Slavery under law. Look at, back at verses 1-3 through three of chapter 4. We're going to kind of jump back and forth in this passage. Paul says, I mean that the heir, heir being the son of someone who is going to receive the inheritance. And by the way, when he talks about us being sons of God, ladies, that's not excluding you. The emphasis on sons was in terms of right to inheritance. Okay, so keep that in mind. He says that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. The picture that Paul is using of himself and other Jewish believers under the Old Covenant was was that of a child who was like three or four years old, who was the heir, right? But he he wasn't a mature heir yet. Um, in the Roman Empire, often people were, if a, if a man was adopted, he was adopted as a mature male who had proved his worth to inherit the empire. A number of the Roman emperors were adopted. And part of this idea, it's kind of a mixed metaphor here, but, but part of the idea is that, that the inheritance was claimed and then enjoyed by someone who had proved themselves worthy. And it's a combination of the picture that Paul's giving of, well, you're a child in the family, but, but you're under all of these rules that are appropriate for kids, but that when you're mature, they don't apply to you anymore. And as Pastor Joel mentioned last week, the description that, um, that Paul gives in, in the earlier passage before this about being, un, being imprisoned under the law, being under the harsh discipline of, uh, of tutors. It's not just, hey, did you do your Latin homework? You know, oh, oh, you didn't know, that's okay. You know, I think about sort of the caricature of being in certain private schools where they, you know, hit your knuckles with rulers and stuff. The image that he's using is not one of the, the comforts of having a private tutor in your home. The image that he's using is one of suffering, one of the feeling of imprisonment that you really don't have freedom. Even though you're going to inherit the whole empire, you really have no freedom, and your life feels like that of one of the household servants who is not their own, but belongs to the the head of the house and have no freedom, and often it could be a harsh existence in the Roman Empire. That's how he's characterizing what it felt like to be a believer during the age of the, the law of Moses in that Old Testament era before God actually became flesh and dwelt among us and accomplished our salvation at the cross. It was the slavery of underage heirs. They were obligated to obey all the detailed stipulations and rule of the law, particularly the ceremonial law, the stuff that, that separated Israel from the rest of the nations. You can look throughout the Old Testament and Leviticus and other books that gives great detail as to uh, cleanness and uncleanness and the sacrificial system and, you know, don't wear a blended fabric, which sounds weird, but it's not. He was having them do these things to teach them they were to be separate 
from the rest of the nations. And lest you think that I'm dissing the Word of God, dissing the Old Testament, I want to show you that the Apostle Paul and other apostles acknowledged that even though it was a great privilege, obviously, to be born again, you had to be born again to actually believe in the Lord, even in the Old Testament. The Spirit made people born again, and it was a great privilege to know God and to know His forgiveness. Compared to the freedom that we have this side of the cross, not to disobey the law of God, but that free under of the sense of bondage, uh, it, it was slavery. Um, during uh, the debate in the Jerusalem Council that we read about in Acts 15, there was a serious debate about whether Gentile, that is non-Jewish Christians, had to adopt the Jewish law into their own lives in order to be full members of the family of God. And this is what the Apostle Peter said in Acts 15.10. He says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Isn't that amazing? He's not ripping on the Old Covenant and, and the laws that God gave. There's a whole... The longest psalm in the Bible is exalting the law of God and the word of God and, and what a privilege it is. But do you hear the language that he's using? Do you hear how he's describing what it was like to be a believer under the old covenant? He said, it was a yoke that neither our fathers, you know, a yoke that's put on your shoulder like an ox. It was a yoke that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Do you see that? That's how he's describing what it felt like to be a believer before the cross of Jesus. It felt like slavery. And these Galatians are being tricked into trying to put that yoke of the law in that way back on themselves. And, and, and this is horrible. Paul was horrified at it. He uses very strong language we re heard a couple weeks ago. Who has put you under their spell that you would fall into this error, that you would forsake the freedom that you have in Jesus and try to put something back on you that doesn't work that way anymore. And so it, it would be a false gospel for you to do so. He wants them to fight for their freedom, and he's fighting for their freedom as he's preaching these things to them. So that is, that's what it means to be slaves under the law. It's even though you're a believer, you feel like a slave because you can't experience the privileges of your inheritance because Jesus Christ hasn't yet come and actually accomplished your salvation in time and space yet. They were forgiven, but it was a provisional forgiving. They were looking ahead to something that, had yet, that was yet unfulfilled. And so when they experienced the law, it was still a do-or-die relationship that was driving them to the sacrifices of, oh, someone has to be my substitute. There needs to be someone blameless in my place that can then take my crimes on them and be punished in my place. And their blamelessness is counted to me. That's what the sacrificial system pointed to. But they were looking ahead to the Lamb of God in faith, but the, that Lamb had not yet come. That's slavery under the law. Now let's look at mature sonship in Christ. The sonship that Jesus has accomplished for us. I want us to look at the nature of this freedom that we have of mature sons of God and the fact that it is in Christ, how that works, how we receive that sonship and why we can be so confident that we have it to embrace it more fully. 
And as we look at these things, I want you to ask yourself this question. How free do I have the right to feel as a Christian? Does that make sense? How much affection from God do I have the right to embrace? How good does Christianity have the right to feel? And what I want you to see is that we can say that we're saved by grace through faith. We can give all the right answers. But there are legalistic aspects in all of our hearts. And and we can be slowly tricked or trick ourselves into letting some of the freedom in Christ that we have go subtly and imperceptibly over time. And so the question I have pastorally for you is, what does your Christianity feel like? What does it feel like to be a Christian as yourself? And, and the point of this whole sermon is, if it feels like slavery, I have good news for you. God wants to set you more and more free this morning through His powerful Word and His redeclaration of freedom over you and your life and the life of your family. So when you are eating lunch after church, and I'm sure you'll be talking about the sermon, right? <laughs> like, what, what, what were we supposed to get out of that? Claim your freedom in Jesus. It's not that you don't obey the Ten Commandments anymore. They're good. That's what it means to love God and love other people. But embrace your freedom. If there's no joy in your life, you're doing it wrong. Take that with a grain of salt. But you know what I mean. If you feel like a slave, that's not honoring to Jesus. That's not how you're meant to live. Jesus wants more for you than that. That when other people who don't know Jesus interact with you and they, they just get to know you and your family, that they would, yes, you're suffering more as a Christian in some ways. The Lord allows certain afflictions in your life that other people may not have as much and, and people don't like you because you're Christian maybe sometimes, whatever. Though there is suffering in your life, your life should be enviable. People should want to know Jesus through knowing you. And I'm, the reason I'm saying this before I get into all this is that there was a real before and after for me in my own life. Okay, I got saved as a senior in high school, went to a hippie college for four years, then went to four years of seminary. And during my time in seminary, I believe I was really embracing legalism and not in sort of the ways that some people think of but in my own special wonderful way I was I was embracing legalism and it did not feel good to be a Christian in that time of my life and there were certain things I'm not going to go into detail but there were certain things where it's like the Lord just kept lovingly throwing me these curveballs. You know, it's like, I have my principles, we're going to do this. And then God in His providence kind of threw some curveballs at me. It's like, oh man, you know, what am I supposed to do with this, you know? And He was lovingly goading me into greater freedom. There was a time in my life where I thought, okay, there are sort of two basic ways to think about and feel about what it means to be a Christian and how to live the Christian life. And I had been living in a certain way that I would say was under bondage, even as a Christian, under that Old Testament-ish feeling bondage that gave me no joy. 
And there was a time in my life where I had to stand up for myself and say, I'm not going to live that way. That when I stand before Jesus Christ, I would rather have him say, yeah, you maybe should have taken this a little more seriously, but I love you, you know. Versus, what were you thinking? No, not that he's going to say that, but you know what I mean? That, that was the sort of thought experiment I had in my life. And I want to encourage you that, you know, though I can still be a pain in the rear and, you know, kick the dog, so to speak, not really, but uh, I am so much more free now in Jesus Christ. I, I can testify like a before and after commercial, like I started drinking Slim Fast and blah, blah, blah. Like there is a before and after, and Laura can testify to this uh, in our marriage, right? There's a before and after that Jesus gave me through the very things you're about to hear, okay? So let's look at the freedom of mature sons, right? Adoption into the status of mature heirs, not underage heirs. Let's look at Galatians 4, 6-7. through 7. What is this mature sonship? What does it entail? What does God give us? He gives us two things. Freedom with the Father, a greater intimacy, a greater freedom with the Father, and the fullness of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit that is unique to, to believing this side of the cross, okay? So look, look at Galatians 4, 6-7 through 7 with me, please. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you hear that language of freedom with the Father, intimacy with the Father, and this indwelling of the Holy Spirit of adoption who enables to experience more deeply that intimacy with God? Romans 8 talks about the spirit of adoption dwelling in us, who bears witness with our spirit that we really are full, free children of God. Look at this language that you are no longer slaves, but you are sons. That, that Jesus, in verse 5, Jesus redeemed us so that we might receive adoption as sons. Believers during the Old Covenant were sons of God, sons and daughters of God, but their experience was that of immature, underage heirs that felt like slavery. What he's talking about here is that now in the New Covenant, whether you're, whether you're whether you're Jewish and you start to trust in Jesus or, or you're a Gentile and you start to trust in Jesus, that when you believe in Jesus, you are immediately adopted into that mature heir coming to your inheritance freedom. It will be finally given to us fully at the resurrection where it talks about our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, right? But in this life, you are meant to live differently than believers did under the Old Covenant. The experience that you have with God is meant to be better. Okay? We cry, Abba, Father. And you know, one commentary I read, like, Christian or believers in, during the Old Covenant never said, Abba, Father, to God. Now, there are passages where they, they say, Doubtless you are our Father. But when Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, that's kind of a big deal. That's not how believers normally address their Creator under the Old Covenant. There is a shocking level of intimacy and freedom. And what's interesting is that, you know, some of you, when I was doing our confession of sin a couple weeks ago, you know, I mentioned this, 
that there was a time in my life where I finally called God Dad in prayer. I mean, it was like 2005 or something. You know, it wasn't that long ago. And, and I just wept being able to call the creator of the universe my dad because father has a certain formality to it. And so what you have amazingly here in this Abba father is the, is the intimacy and freedom of a little kid going, hey, daddy, and, and he brings you onto his lap, but also the benefits of being a mature, grown-up son of God, daughter of God, right? Who, who do, isn't under the ABCs, the elements the beggarly elements of the, the rigorousness of what it takes to raise a child as a child. You know what I'm talking about. You're not under that anymore. You have freedom with the Father. And so again, I would ask you, how free do you feel with God? When, you wanna, when you're like, oh, I want to pray. When you talk to God, how do you think He's feeling about you? That, that may sound squishy to some of you, but I hope it doesn't. Do you get what I'm saying? What's your default thought of God when you talk to Him? Sometimes I have to remind myself that He's not going like this. <sighs> right? Does that make sense? What, what do you think the face of God towards you is like? Now, yes, he, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. He, he chastens us he, you know, because He loves us. But there is no condemnation from your Father in Heaven. You know, when we... I'm, take... I want to be careful here, but there are passages in the Old Testament that talk about, you know, remove your wrath from us. Now, yes, he chastened his people. He disciplined them, right? He, he kicked them out of Israel and sent them off to Babylon to, to, to discipline them. But I believe that there are some passages in the Old Testament that we have to, because Paul is telling us to, filter through the lens of this new covenant freedom we have that we're not meant to directly import all of the aspects of the experience of the life of believers from under the Old Covenant into our this side of the cross lives. The way I've described it before is that, you know, there's a lot of smoke in the temple in the Old Covenant. You know, the smoke of the incense, which is nice, but the, the smoke of these burning animals all the time. Now, it may smell like a barbecue, but, you know, you're burning like skin and hair and stuff too, so it's probably funky sometimes too, right? There were, the Old Testament was really smoky air. And this side of the cross, we have fresh air. But sometimes well-meaning Christians can put a smoke machine in the room. And it's like Old Testament smoke, baby, you know? Again, it's not denigrating the Old Testament. It is the Word of God, and it's, we believe it, and we follow it. We, it's God's Word. I'm not ripping on the Old Testament but I'm, but I'm agreeing with Paul and Peter when I say this was a burden that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. And my challenge to you is to embrace the fresh air and drive away the smoke of the harshness that we tend to want to bring back on ourselves. Does that make sense? Okay, any head nods? Some? All right, all right, well, all right. All right. So we have freedom with the Father. And so my question to you is, yes, we call God Father. Yes, we call Him Lord. Yes, we call Him God. Do you ever call God Dad? Just a thought. So we also have the fullness of the Spirit. We have freedom with the Father in our mature sonship, but we have the fullness of the Spirit. 
The Spirit lives not just with us, but within us. Jesus said this in the Gospels. The Holy Spirit who is with you, but will be in you. You know, it says Jesus said this because the Spirit had not yet been given. What in the world is that talking about? Like, so believers under the Old Testament were just believing the Lord without the Holy Spirit? Of course not. When Jesus and Nicodemus were talking, and Nicodemus was like, what do you mean I need to be born from above? What are you talking about? And Jesus was like, dude, man, you're a teacher in Israel. This is like the ABCs. This is like first grade. You've got to be born again. You've got to be regenerated. You have to have your heart circumcised before the Lord to have faith in Him. So, of course, believers had the, old, had the Spirit with them under the Old Testament. They would talk about the Spirit rushing on David and rushing on so-and-so, you know. But, but the New Testament clearly teaches us that we have it better this side of the cross. That's why Jesus said, listen, I know you want to be with me in my physical presence, but it is so much better for you that I go away, sit on my throne, and then pour out the Spirit into you so that you can have an even more intimate presence of mine in the Spirit and with the Father. It's so much better this side of the cross because the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's what he says. Because, verse 6 of chapter 4, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So one thing you can do is ask God to keep refilling you with the Holy Spirit. He's in you, but there are evidences in the New Testament about, you know, Pentecost already happened, but then it says, and then they were filled with the Spirit. So part of our Christian life is to continually ask the Father to fill us with His Spirit. That's what Jesus says. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to Him who asks? So we have this mature sonship in Christ. We have a fresh air this side of the cross that we need to fight for and not be seduced into giving up. Amen? Amen? All right. So it's mature, mature sonship. Now let's look at how it's in Christ. Mature, mature sonship in Christ. What we see is that we have been spiritually united to Jesus. And in our union with Jesus, we receive all that He came to earn for Himself so that He could give it to us, including mature heir adoption. As I mentioned possibly in other sermons, Though Jesus was the eternal, only begotten Son of God, He's always been God, He's never not been God, when He became flesh, part of His redeeming us from under the law into this mature heir adoption was earning that for Himself. He came under the law as an immature heir, in a sense, who had to mature in our place to earn that adoption for himself and for us. That's what the Bible means when in Psalm 2 it says, "Today you are my son, today I've begotten you. It's not that Jesus wasn't already God's son, but at the resurrection he was experiencing receiving that mature heir inheritance because he had matured in our place. There's nothing that we get from Jesus without our union with him and that he didn't have to first get for himself. Though he didn't sin, you know, we receive forgiveness of sins. He, he earned vindication for himself and gives that vindication to us in our, quote, justification, our forgiveness in our being counted good in God's sight. So it's through our union with Christ. Let's look at 
chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Our union with Christ. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I don't believe that he's actually talking about water baptism here. I believe he's using the sacramental language to describe what, the, the, what those sacraments actually pictured. Under the old covenant, it was circumcision. It pictured being given a new nature by God. In the New Testament, it's baptism, having our old nature washed away, being cleansed, being made new. And so when he says, as many as you, as you have been baptized into Christ, he's saying those who have believed in Jesus have been united to Jesus supernaturally and spiritually. And in your real spiritual union with Christ, you have entered a new reality. And that reality is you have put on Jesus Christ. And so these categories that often have divided people or made one person think they were better than another, uh, race, gender, socioeconomic status, those are done away with as value distinctions for us. No one is better than the other. There's no tiers or levels within the family of God. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And God's saying if we look to any other uh, factor for our ultimate identity other than being in Christ, that's idolatry. That we, can, we have union in Jesus and we should fight for that union and preserve that union in our relationships with one another. So he talks about this union with Jesus. And so let's look now at the part in Galatians 4 when he talks about Jesus coming to give us that mature heir sonship through our union with him. Verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul is reminding them that there was a time appointed by the Father for us to then get our mature heir status. And that time had arrived, and therefore the Father sent His Son to earn that for Himself and for us. He's the eternal Son of God. He was sent by the Father before He was born. So we see that He's God. But He was born of woman, showing us that He is also fully man. He had to be both God and man to be our Redeemer. And He was born under the law as an Israelite, under the obligations, under that yoke that neither Peter nor his forefathers were able to bear, Jesus bore that yoke perfectly in our place so that he would redeem those who are under the law, that we all might receive mature heir adoption. It's through being united to Jesus by faith through the Holy Spirit that you have now received this new freedom and this new status. Christ and his earthly life and his entire biography has purchased everything for you through your union with him. And so be reminded of this announcement of freedom, this declaration of freedom. Do you feel like a slave or like a mature son who is free? Is your Christianity feeling a little slavish? 
Well, there's good news for you. It gets better than that. And God wants you to embrace your freedom in Jesus for intimacy with the Father and experience of the Holy Spirit in greater and greater ways for His glory. Embrace the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you because it is finished. Amen. Please pray with me.